0: you're listening to dodge movie podcast your hosts are christy and mike dodge the founders of dodge media productions we produce films and podcasts so this is a podcast about films join them as they share their passion for filmmaking
1: Welcome back everybody to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode number 62. We're going to be talking about the film State and Maine, a favorite of Michael's as he was preparing to direct his own short film, correct?
0: That is correct. Walt Price is something of a role model.
1: (laughs) This film is written and directed by David Mamet. It has a huge cast. In fact, it won quite a few, a handful of awards for Best Ensemble Cast. It stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Alec Baldwin, Sarah Jessica Parker, our own SJP, Rebecca Pigeon, which you maybe wouldn't recognize that name, but she is the uh, wife of the writer-director, Clark Gregg, Julia Stiles, Charles Durning, and Patty Lapone, my favorite. Where was this in
0: Julia Stiles' career? This must have been early on.
1: Quite early, I would say, Yes notable crew. Alec Baldwin was the EP and there is kind of a little gag in the credits about associate producers. And I guess there's a line and it says any, if you want to know who the associate producers are, like ask and we'll send you the list because <laughs> apparently it was, they're handing them out left and right.
0: There was actually a point during pre-production of Second Story where I made that joke that I'd give an associate producer credit to someone.
1: Oh, after seeing this film or are you just on your own?
0: It was after seeing this film.
1: Oh, Okay. (laughs) this one came out in, in the year 2000 and its synopsis is a movie crew invades a small town whose residents are all too ready to give up their values for showbiz glitz. And I should make a point to say that all of these synopsis for our movies and a lot of the information that I get is from imdb.com, as well as I use rottentomatoes.com, sometimes the wiki of each movie, and oh, I use Box Office Mojo for the numbers, and I use... A website called numbers.com but it's kind of hit and miss so
0: I believe that IMDB is now part of the Bezos Borg it is I remember when it first came out and it was mind-blowing I was like this is what the internet was made for <laughs>
1: Yeah. I just want to give credit where credit is due that's yeah, like where that. I find nice um, attribution all of my information let's see the tagline for this film or there, there was three that were listed on imdb.com lock your windows hide your daughter's say your prayers oh dear yeah, that's scary this film has some cringe so there's a cringe warning <laughs>
0: yeah we can talk about that
1: later yes yes when a film crew came to waterford vermont they shot first and asked questions later that's a nice callback
0: we can talk about
1: uh-huh and big movie small town huge trouble <laughs> i don't know i like that <laughs> yeah i kind of like i think the taglines were supposed to be more like phrases right mm-hmm. not like a full sentence yeah yeah that's what the synopsis is for. It's like advertising. So a little bit of trivia. I was always drawn to the Patty LuPone trivia, and this was once again from IMDb. The Tony Award-winning actress Patty LuPone plays acid-tongued wife of the mayor, George Bailey, portrayed by Charles Durning. And she was quoted as saying, because she had been, work- she has worked with Mamet since the 1970s, and she called the picture an affectionate skewering of the movie business. We do this because we love the business, and to see it portrayed in this way is a loving tribute. Then to see the actors who signed on was incredible. That's her quote. Another little bit of trivia that caught my eye was in an interview with the New York Times, the writer director David Mamet said he loves the music business and sometimes it frustrates and enrages me, but also exhilarates me. And I think what this reminded me of is I, sitting in film school, all of us creatives would get into the creative process and we would be frustrated by what, quote unquote, Hollywood would do or decisions they would make. Or as much as a lot of my classmates loved the Marvel movies, they also were kind of like with a chagrin because you know, they are the only ones getting made, not indie films. And our professors had to remind us that it is show business.
0: Yeah, I think actually we've talked a little bit about this before, but mm-hmm. art I think does need some constraints, right? Left to their own devices, directors would make four hour movies. Right? <laughs> right, right. So sometimes it's good to, to have something and maybe it doesn't have to be the advertising department telling you that it can't be that long, but I think there there can be good that comes out of some constraints, budget constraints, etc. Mm -hmm. And obviously that can be taken to an extreme, but I think this film kind of shows the, I don't know if I would necessarily business part, but the the growing pains, the birthing pains of of giving birth to this piece of art.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So kick us off, Mike. What's our pickup line?
0: Doc, those pills that you gave me for my back, I'm not sure they work.
1: <laughs> this was a running gag that did, I don't really felt feel like I got the payoff that I thought it would.
0: Right. That You mean the doctor? Yeah, the doctor of... was
1: seen throughout the film interacting with different townspeople, and they would talk to him about some advice he had given them. And I thought, you know, comedy comes in threes. So I figured right. the third one would be some big gag. And
0: Well, I like the doctor's line. You should never trust someone who wears a bow tie. <laughs> and and he's he like, was, "Doctor, you're wearing a bow tie." He was wearing a yeah. bow tie. Yeah. Now n- we rarely get this, but actually, I did capture the parting shot, as I call it, the last line of the film. Yes. And it's, "Can we get a creative donuts for the Teamsters?" Which I actually think is right on brand for this film, right? Yes, yes. They've wrapped and Walt is rewarding the the cast and crew.
1: Yes, yes. You uh, often are indebted as the writer-director to the people that came to show up. Because you're passionate about this story and you kind of can't believe why anybody else would be. (laughs) So I think. Yeah. So at one
0: point in time, I heard Ron Howard say that, the director is the protector or the keeper of the story. And I might actually use a slightly different word, shepherd, right? The story is this cute little lamb that it can't survive on its own. And your job is to provide it what it needs so that it can grow up and and have this happy and healthy life. But you are, yeah, you're protecting it from the world around it. And you need those people to help you usher this delicate, fragile little creature into the world.
1: Yeah, totally. So I want to talk about the acting since we we do have this huge ensemble cast. Oh, yeah.
0: Good actors. The afters. film
1: opens up and we meet Clark Gregg, who we now know from the aforementioned Marvel series. That's right. Marvel's. He was a- a Agent Agents Coulson
0: Sh- in some of the movies and then in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents
1: of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so he is obviously like a council member and he is has set his sights on, I believe, like higher office, maybe even being a representative of the state or something. Mm-hmm. And so he's very involved in the town politics politics and just the what plays out in that first scene is a lot of exposition that tells us not only kind of who he is and then his girlfriend comes in and so we kind of see and she's portrayed by Is it Robin Pigeon, Rebecca Pigeon? Yeah, the director's wife. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I don't want to keep referring to her that way, though. And so it just sets up that this is like a quaint little town. And the biggest kind of problem in the town, I believe it was a pothole that they were all kind of fighting over.
0: So that's a great sight gag. Mm -hmm. I noticed that the pothole affected cars in both lanes. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed
1: that as well. That was either
0: a pothole that was as large as a ditch, or or, I don't know, maybe it was across the, the, the yellow line. But it was also amazing that none of the vehicles appeared to attempt to make any movements to avoid it. Nope. 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 Just ran right through it. But it's all in the background. This is my kind of humor. It's in the background of the shot.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that tells it's like very good show. Don't tell. Or well, I guess they were telling. But if you're paying attention, you get to see the personalities of the different people as well as the exposition. You get to see that this is a quaint little town. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Everybody's probably in everybody's business. And then Hollywood just kind of embarks on it. And in a way, it's like this bucolic. Holic, innocent, sweet—you know, almost bordering saccharine—and now these Hollywood assholes basically right. <laughs> are gonna show up which brings me to my next point is Alec Baldwin plays an asshole or what? <laughs> and so he's just this very stereotypical thinks his you know his poop doesn't stink and he
0: um he's a sex addict
1: yes and he's fled a previous set of a small town where he took advantage of. I mean this is where it gets cringe because I right. believe
0: so early on on, Walt Price, the director, is talking to what I have determined is the, lo- the line producer, and he says we can't ever go back to New Hampshire. Right. Which is where they were, and they had built the set. So they used all of their budget to build the set, and the film is called The Old Mill, and this is the Old Mill set. I mean, this is it. This yeah. is what the whole film is about. And they have to leave it behind because of Bob, played by Alec Baldwin, Bob's misdeeds in that town. And as the film goes on, I don't know if they ever direct Say it, but it becomes obvious that they had to leave New Hampshire. For the same reason that he got into trouble with Julia Stiles' character in this little town,
1: right? It, so it's yeah. Okay, so moving on, and then <laughs> so then we have Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is the writer of the f- of the script, The Old Mill. And there's a point when he just becomes disillusioned because it's almost like even though <laughs> you can tell he's been around these people, it's the moment that he realizes that he's completely sold out. That Hollywood has taken over his film. Home. Um. And the core of his film and what he loves about, or his script, has just been, I, I don't want to keep using the word taken or stolen, but it's no longer his.
0: To me, that that's when they get to the town and there's no old mill remaining. Uh-huh. The other old mill had burned down. And Walt Price, the director, says to him, does it have to be an old mill? Right. <laughs> and the title of the film is The Old Mill. Yeah. Right. And so you can see, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman did a great job on, on the acting. You can just see his hope crushed.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I turn to you because you know hindsight we now know that that he he's passed and I just thought oh my god this is why he killed himself because he I mean he is a great actor he is portraying just the sorrow and the just like stolen wind out of his sails
0: right right he crumples
1: yeah 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 yeah,
0: I get that which is by the way why I'm not sure how I could do to have someone else make my film if I wrote it and someone else made it yeah I I, I could imagine that would feel like Kicking the plums.
1: And we know from our obsession with the filmmaking process, is generally the writer's not allowed on set, probably for this very reason. Because you have some writers who would raise holy hell if you started changing very vital parts of their movie or their script.
0: Which I suppose if you don't want your, your script changed, you have to be the director, right? Exactly. You have to be a writer director.
1: Exactly. Is there any other acting that stood out to you?
0: Well, there's quite a bit of interesting portrayal there. I would love to say that it was entirely acting. I just don't know the actors very well. I think both Alec Baldwin and Sarah Jessica Parker epitomized their kind of caricatures of the leading man and the leading woman very, very well. And you see her kind of with her histrionics and her attempts to manipulate the writer to get certain things into the screen. And then him with basically his philandering throughout the entire cast, crew, town, state, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know. Again, I, I think they did a very good job in particular Alec Baldwin is so charming right yes and he, it was believable that yes. he would basically be able to continue getting away with this but there's an actor I, I hope I don't get his name wrong David Paymer, who plays the the producer and he's kind of the bad cop to Walt Price's good cop right And I think both of those, William H. Macy and that actor, did their roles just spot on, pitch perfect. Now, obviously, they've worked in the industry, so they had a lot of material to draw from. But I felt like they really landed that. I loved how William H. Macy had this long-suffering kind of hangdog look of the director who's, he is going to make this film, right, come hell or high water. Right. And just what does it take to get that next shot? And that's why I love that pillow, by the way. It's just awesome. What pillow? His pillow that says... As shoot first, ask questions afterward. Right, because that's his approach, right? Just get the next
1: shot. Yeah, you hadn't mentioned it, so I wanted you to... Oh, thanks. Doing the listeners a favor. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, what, pillow? Thank you for asking, Christy. So under my cinematography tag on my notes, I have archery indoors. When they walk <laughs> into the... I've never This is seen, incredible. This seems dangerous. In the, I think it is. like old inn that they're all staying in, somebody, uh, I think it's... Is it Walt? Walks over, gets a mm-hmm. bow, gets an arrow, and just shoots out out, out of screen, out of out of right. the rain. So I... Have have no idea where this arrow went but then we see that over on the wall near the what's it called the checkout where you check in you know the counter the front
0: desk maybe yeah yes call it.
1: yes the front desk that's where the target is like this seems very dangerous
0: and there are holes in the wall around, around the target.
1: it yeah i saw that too <laughs>
0: Yeah. So that was really, in my opinion, quite a non sequitur. I'm not sure where that came from, but it was fun.
1: Yeah. Let's see. And then I love the cinematographer with the lens around his neck and he's wearing oh, like the, the black jacket. And I believe he's wearing even like a beret or something like he just looks, well, he's got kind of, he looks like Mitch Miller for anybody over the age of I
0: think like he 50. went Australian cowboy, if I recall correctly, he had a duster and I think he had like a black man from Snowy River kind of hat on.
1: Oh, okay. I guess we were but he watching had two different well. movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of us <laughs> misremembered this. I think we watched the same film. I'm pretty sure.
1: And then I wrote down, and I need to be more descriptive in my notes because we watched these like about two weeks before we record them. So my memory is failing me. That I said, you get the script supervisor award. There was something that you recognized. Oh, I know exactly what it is. Okay. So
0: the central kind of setup for this film is that they have... Have to move locations and they have to go to a n- new town and there's a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman slams a dog-eared old copy of the script up on the window in his first day in the town and it has the new town's name on the front page of the script and it would be the old town's name
1: right there actually is maybe that that is the scene in the trivia there's something about the script and they said it's the actual script
0: that would they, make sense to yeah
1: me. so okay is there anything about the cinematography? of this film that you enjoyed
0: first of all Oliver Stapleton is a cinematographer so shout out to him he has a bunch of work but including I think he wrote some stuff for MDB, if I recall correctly to circle back around to our earlier conversation there's a really interesting shot where when Carla is first alone with Bob the window light makes a stripe that just goes right across her eyes almost like a domino mask it was an interesting you effect you love
1: it when that happens I do <laughs> you you have mentioned that more than once.
0: And I mean there are great catchlights throughout the film, but I also noticed there is lamplight across Anne's eyes when she's in her shop with Joe during the rainstorm. So there is a lot of attention paid to lighting the eyes. So, yes, thumbs up from me.
1: You like that? I do. All right. Under my writing category, I have some stuff we already talked about. Here I have the director is very hostile to the writer. Get out of here. (laughs) Right. Which is usually the case. And then I wrote the writer isn't usually on set. Oh, can we talk about the misogyny in the film?
0: (laughs) Sure. That's one of the things we could talk about. Absolutely. I put that, by the way, there are several entries in the could not be made today category, I think, related to this misogyny.
1: So I have in quotes, catch the abroad at the airport right Um, William H. Macy uses that term does he use it for all women or just Sarah Jessica Parker's character.
0: Just Sarah Jessica Parker's character.
1: He refers to her as the broad or right. that broad. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: He also uses a phrase never heard before or since like dykes and dogs. And I don't think he was talking about water restraining earthen work. Right. And Marty calls her a bimbo and babe.
1: So it's not just William H. Macy that no. kind of treats. No.
0: And there's some other stuff that's a little also sketchy. Doug calls somebody a hebe, which is... Is, you know, short for Hebrew, right. it's a Jewish Which slur. And then term Walt dealing. says, "And again, I I gotta think this is common in Hollywood that Mamet didn't put this in here just out of nowhere." But he refers to something as faggy without being homosexual. Yeah. And in two thousand, I'm cool. surprised that 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 we line was in there.
1: They weren't woke yet. Well, two thousand. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I know. Um, I know. It's disappointing. Now, I know. think it's
0: realistic, but it's kind of rough to watch. In it that is. Sense.
1: It is now to watch. You're, you're yeah. totally right. I cringed when he said that. Cause. But I, and this
0: is a great question as to what degree have movie sets changed? Hopefully a lot, but maybe not as much as we would think.
1: I, I would hope that they have. I mean, I would love to be, but I just don't know if I'm being naive to say, yeah, I think they definitely have. Right. So under costuming though, I love <laughs> and I want a t-shirt that says, and it was a crew member a couple crew members that were yeah, wearing it. does it have to be an old male?
0: Oh, that's so great.
1: And it was, it was so like meta, but that is something that the crew would do. And I've heard of different crews kind of, oh, cause what was it? Were we watching a movie or no, maybe I was just reading the trivia. There was this scene like 181. Oh no, I think it was in the Shonda Rhimes book I was reading. Anyway, it was like crew members made t-shirts that said, I survived scene 18 <laughs> or something and it's because it took like like almost a month. It was some massive scene. Yeah, I I don't think it was
0: Shonda Rhimes, but I do remember us talking about that.
1: Okay. Right. So we watched so many different things that we can never <laughs> remember. Difficult. But anyway, so that it I mean that's accurate because I think when everybody collectively comes together and kind of gets through a big task, it's it is kind of like a celebration and seems t-shirt worthy.
0: Well, when you said that it was realistic even though it was made for that t-shirt, I immediately in my mind's eye, I could see costume designer Miriam having that t-shirt on the absolutely, film, right? Absolutely, She has a sense of humor to pull that off and I, I think that's part of it is y- you have to have that sense of humor to get through it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I heard a first AC said all films have the th- same three stages. They have, hey, I like all you guys, and then, hey, I hate all you guys, and then, hey, I love all you guys. Yep. And you have to go through, I think uh, that, the, again, the, almost the childbirth pain to go through, and then hopefully you end up as a little family, dysfunctional as it may Absol- be.
1: that's what I say all the time. We're a family, but we're the most dysfunctional family any set I've been on. Because you end up like you know, it's a non-traditional job. It's not like something you go and you clock in at nine o'clock and you leave at five. Like things run over. You sometimes are in in different locations. Something breaks, and you're all kind of sitting around. But then now you got to hurry and. And so it's just this, and there's so many moving parts, and it's it's a wild ride. But yeah, but then you you love it, like like he said, it makes me angry. What did he say? It enrages me. (laughs) It excites me, and it thrill. You know, I mean, just that is. It's so true. So let's see. Do you have anything else about the film that you want to talk about? Because there's one little thing I want to talk about before we go into our little segments that we do.
0: Well, one of the reasons I love this film is the Walt Price character. And he has a great line in here. One of my favorite all-time movie lines. It's not a lie. It's a gift for fiction. And you watch him. He delivers that as part of he is just tap dancing and spin doctoring and trying to get things done. But the reason that he doesn't come across to me as a manipulative evil character is because he just wants the film to be made. So maybe that's, you know, a gray area, but to me, it seems he's ultimately a likable character because his motives are pure. He's just trying to get you through whatever it is, the problem, to get to the next thing. And they show him, you know, he's reviewing costume, which is apparently not not particularly done very much anymore. I had a, speaking of costume designer Miriam, I had a conversation about that at length. But then he has to pick a horse. They have to figure out how to shoot this without an old mill. There are all these challenges. And he's just trying to get through that. And to me, that is kind of he—he's the hero of this film to me. But maybe that's a writer-director talking, right? <laughs>
1: now the director—he's he's the your most hero, important but, guy. No, but I see what you're saying. Right,
0: and he shepherds this this again helpless little creature, and he and he he gets it to the end. And that's so. I don't think the maybe if you haven't been as part of that process that final scene when they when they wrapped the last shot that sense of relief right was palpable They all, I mean obviously the, the cast and crew knew that that feeling and they communicated on screen so to me this is really a, a, a love letter to the directors of the world
1: yes yes I would say so and I think you're right he is our hero even though like we yeah, aforementioned <laughs> the broad get that yeah, broad exactly uh, I did like him I did feel like he did care about all of his people kind of in, even if it was in a kind of disturbing way, <laughs> he did care about all his crew, cast and crew and, and the story you're absolutely, cause I think he cared for Philip Seymour Hoffman too. He yes. was trying to make him be okay that they were completely changing. He understood we, I know this was your baby and I know you're in pain cause we're changing it and I'm sorry. Right. But it's all for like the greater
0: right. good. Maybe the, the, that in a microcosm is when Sarah Jessica Parker's character, I think her name is Claire, is having a freak out in the bathroom. And he says to the first AD, get her some flowers. And he says, well, like we don't have any more. And he just looks at him and he's like, well, just take the ones out of the vase and put cellophane around them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's not because it's just like he wants he's her to He's a problem have, solver. Right. He wants her to have new flowers. And this guy says, well, I can't get you new flowers. And he's like, no, you can. They're right over there. Yeah. He's trying to solve the problem. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I thought it was a great <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) That was a funny gag. And a shout of love. Um, Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we got some new. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy stickers. And a few of our big fans got them already. But I want to offer to any of our listeners, there is a cameo, an uncredited cameo. (sighs) This is awesome. Of a big star from a TV show in the 90s. He went on to direct a very scary film that was so good it got a sequel. And if somebody will email me at christy at com with that correct answer without looking at IMDb.
0: Honor system here for...
1: I will send you a smoochy 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 sticker
0: and you'll get a virtual high five Absolutely. Unless you show up in person, then I'll high five you in person.
1: There you go. So, that the the gauntlet has been dropped. It's not a huge gauntlet, but there you go. Did we have any head trauma?
0: Well, we had implied head trauma when Bob crashes the station wagon whilst drunk Oh, yes. with Julia Stiles in it with him. They both appear to take knocks to the head. They have visible damage to their forehead.
1: Yes, yes, I would I would agree. That is not implied, but I mean I I know I see what you're saying. Like we didn't see it on camera, but the results we seen seeing later.
0: Right. And it's amazing that there would be a stunt that much in a mammoth film, right? You don't really think of him as like Michael Bay with lots of stuff, but they actually did. They flipped that car.
1: Wow. All right, to the big segment. Was there a smooch? Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy.
0: Oh, there were several smoochies. So the first one that we see is when Carla leaves Bob's hotel room. There's a smooch. There's an almost smoochy outside Ann's store with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, but then the uh, the local cop has a real block there. And then Ann and Joe smooch at one thirty nine thirty two outside the courtroom as Doug recants his statement. Right. Which, by the way, the Doug character, I think, in some shows what can happen with the film because ultimately he's corrupted by the film yeah they basically buy him off
1: yeah <gasps> yep all right so i know you have a driving review <laughs> right well, there's not a whole lot
0: of driving review in here, but there's a very important one, kids. Don't drink and drive even in a 1988 Mercury Ga- Grand Marquis station wagon. But especially not with an underage girl as a passenger. Right. That's just much much worse.
1: Yes. Um, and wear your seatbelt.
0: Wear your seatbelt. Don't drink and drive. Also, go ahead and swerve around potholes, folks. You know, the steering wheel is a great a great tool. Just go ahead and give it a swirl because you can actually you can pop pop the bead off of your your tire there and now you'd have a bigger problem so don't drive through the pothole drive around the pothole around the pothole
1: and city workers please fix the potholes yes you can't always rely on
0: people like ron swanson to fill it for you so let's go (laughs) ahead and get that done city
1: right all right, so we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. Okay. Let's see. Like I said this is came out in the year 2000. It got a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb. I did not look up the Rotten Tomatoes. I had I could not find the budget for this one, but it domestically made just shy of 7 million and and worldwide it all, it made 9 million. So, I don't know, depending the the cast is where you're going to spend a ton of money. So, I, right. I I have no idea. So,
0: credit to Mamet. He didn't actually have to build an old mill so all that money could go, could go into the casting. actors yeah
1: <laughs> Good one, Mike. It was filmed actually in Massachusetts, even though it was set in Vermont. It was filmed in Malden and Manchester by the Sea and Dedham and Waltham and Beverly and Gloucester.
0: Wow, that's a lot of different locations.
1: Yeah, in in Massachusetts. It's an hour and 45 minutes. It's rated R and it's labeled as a comedy drama, a dramedy. We watched this one on Apple. It did cost us $2.99. Stay tuned because next week we are going going to be talking about a movie called The Player. And I don't have in front of me where we watched it, but it'll be on our social media. So check that out. And as always, thank you for listening and reviewing and following us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And never forget,
0: Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to DodgeMediaProductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.